Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Inside Social Work podcast. Today I'm chatting with Kathy Love about all things private practice. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy. Hello, hello. Very exciting to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about your journey and what you're working on now. Oh my goodness. So I now work as a allied health business coach and uh, I work with allied health business owners, helping them run powerful, profitable businesses that really make a, a positive impact on their lives, but also on the lives of their team and clients as well. So the reason I've kind of landed in this very, very cool uh, role uh, is on the back of decades of being self-employed. So um, I came out of university with an occupational therapy degree and went straight into paid employment uh, here in Victoria, here in Melbourne actually, and then did the obligatory uh, run to the UK for a few years and uh, all of that. And even when I was in the UK, so even at five and six years out and this is back in the 80s, I picked up some private work. It was just word of mouth and just a bit of work after, after work, a bit of work on Saturdays. Uh, and it was, it was really fun. And it was a really different way to make a difference without all of the rules as such of what your employer thought you should and shouldn't do. So uh, when I came back to uh, Australia, I did a little bit here, a little bit there, word of mouth. And then after our second babe was born, I thought, yeah, right, I really want something flexible and fun and really be able to do things my way. And um, famous last words, hey, for um, private practice owners, famous last words, I want flexibility. Goodness. So... um, started off my private practice and I promise you it was at my dining room table with a milk crate just full of stuff um, and I've always worked with kids and young people and their families so um, a home environment was sort of okay and I did a ton of community visits and my practice just went nuts and had a lot of growth that I didn't manage particularly well so um, I bought in mentors and read and went to workshops and trained myself up so that um, yeah, the, the the years thereafter were just differently chaotic uh, and differently fun and differently interesting. And when I sold in 2012, um, I started to get some phone calls from friends saying, well, now you're not working for yourself. Can you come and help us? So that's, uh, that's the nutshell bit. So uh, yeah, that's how I got to what I'm up to up to nowadays. There's so many things in that that I want to pull apart. Go for it. So there's the flexibility option, then there's also, I think what you said around, it was expanding so quickly and perhaps you couldn't keep up. Mm. And I guess that's, that's one thing I wanted to touch on is we don't get taught anything about, I mean, I know my degree and I've done a Mm. couple, nothing about finances or accounting or managing Mm. a business. And so I can imagine for a lot of people, it's so daunting and so terrifying to be really good in one area and then not know anything about running a business and how do you 
how do you merge those two so that your clinical skills and your clinical work or therapeutic work isn't being negatively impacted, but your business can help you, I guess, share your craft with the world? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I certainly didn't get any business input. And uh, I'm interested now because from time to time, universities approach me uh, about what could or should or would they be doing. And I've done some consulting back to a couple of the unis which is great, really, really good that they're interested. So I'm really heartened to hear that a couple of the universities I've spoken to have actually walked down the corridor uh, and gone and knocked on the door of the business faculty uh, because they actually have a whole lot of talent under their university roof. So it will be interesting to see what the universities come up with going forward uh, because in the vast majority of... um, situations there will be a commercial context there will be a private practice commercial fifa service exchange where the vast majority of allied health social work graduates um end up working is is my hunch my experience is a little bit biased in that i'm from disability um sector so uh ndis kind of will spring to mind for some of the guys listening so yeah there is potential uh, awareness growing in the universities um uh i think it's probably good that the universities haven't got too uh focused on bringing in the business stuff because that isn't necessarily what they're most awesome at and that is about that clinical readiness um, that confidence that ability to engage stakeholders and work with team and make great decisions and communicate really really well and I must admit I do have a little bit of um, I don't know if it's well-placed concern or not I'm just not sure how entrepreneurial some of the business information that could end up in allied health could be and whether it dilutes or distracts from the core clinical uh, content as well. So it's going to be an interesting one to see. I think it would only ever really be considered an add-on kind of subject because it's Mm. not their core work. Um, So I don't know, wait wait and... um, wait and see on that one so I certainly got myself off and did business certificates Uh, I did courses with the um, Australian Institute of Management AIM uh, and had a range of mentors because I realized that whilst I was clinically pretty strong that this management business management and team leadership was a whole different skill set while you know aligned uh with some elements of what i knew clinically was just a different just a completely different kind of subject subject matter so um yeah nowadays there's even more options available if you want to go and skill yourself up and there's now specialist entrepreneurial programs and all sorts of things so uh there's fun to be had all over the place in uh in that nowadays which is good I see that there's, I mean, I guess I break it down into there's probably three main types of entrepreneurs and I think, I wonder what your thoughts are on it. So I see one group being, I'm really passionate about this um, product or service. I think my clients or my community would benefit from it. I'm going to try and make a way to launch Mm -hmm. it. Then there's a second group who are like, I want to create hours that work around my lifestyle or have particular times off and have more of a Mm. capacity to have a different work-life balance and then there's a third who just know they want to run their own business and then 
we'll do some market research, find a niche and then work backwards from there. Is there a fourth group or are they kind of the main ones you think that's the kind of pattern you're seeing with people? Uh, I think the one business owner can be all three at different times as well uh, and with slightly different hats on. Uh, there's also a cohort of people who um, really build a business from the inside out and really collaborate very closely with their uh, customers, if you like, and with their stakeholders uh, to really listen to what people want. So one of the risks of, building, of starting with a product and selling it to people is it may not be what people want. It might be what you want to do, but it might miss the mark in the market. So... We've all done that and that can be part of, of business and all of the rest of it. Uh, in terms of work-life balance, I, uh, I, I think the very word balance sums it up really well that it's dynamic and that sometimes it tips one way and sometimes it tips the other. And um, to have a bit of a philosophical view around that, that it's not static and it's not going to be the same every day and every week will help you kind of flex around where your energy is needed and where and why and when. Um, and then the other group was around, uh, what was the third group that you said? So there's a product, the flexibility. And then I think there are some people and perhaps not as much in allied health, but so there might be someone who's like, I just want to make a lot of money selling things on Amazon and I'm mm. going to see what products are missing and just create that. Yeah, so the gap then, analysis guys. Yeah, but then there are yeah. some people like I think of the person who started Keep Cup. Mm. She saw a need and developed a product and then built that up. Yeah. But, I guess one of the risks about doing the market analysis and zooming in on a niche is it might not be your area of flow and it might not be your area of passion. And I think uh, the market is increasingly heart-based and increasingly looking for connections and increasingly skilled at sniffing out the, the money makers as such. And you might have some fun kind of getting that, that business off the ground. It might have some short-term success I don't know don't know um, but uh, yeah it's an increasingly savvy purchasing market um, so yeah but I, I would see most allied health um, most entrepreneurs most business owners of having all three four profiles plus probably another half a dozen others and just you know all of those combination those messy combinations of all of them and still wondering why they're working so hard and <laughs> so underpaid <laughs> I want to touch on your point of the consumers wanting a bit more heart and kind of sniffing out mm. the people there for money. How do you find that works trying to, because we, we, we're taught, especially in um, kind of social work and counselling where you can't disclose a lot and we've got to have these really strong boundaries, mm. but then people really want to get to know you. So how do you market yourself and your brand while kind of sticking to some of that more protective boundaries and maintaining your ethics and disclosing enough to build connection, but not so much that it crosses a line. So how do you, have you worked with clients who kind of grapple with that balance? Yeah, I guess this zooms back into your personal integrity and your personal um, stickability to your ethics and the ethics you've been taught and the ethics that you've learnt from growing up and the ethics you bring to business. And so that 
sort of has got a clinical, very much got a clinical context as well. As I understand it, brand has got a few different aspects and that there's not just one sort of brand. There's your personal brand, there's your business brand and your product brand. And essentially they form a triangle and they should be equally weighted. But um, what invariably happens is sometimes your personal brand is kind of louder uh, and more apparent than perhaps your business brand. And it could be that no one even knows the name of the products of what you sell as such. So um, I think having some awareness about where the um, heat is in your profile, whether it's online or um, in the community, uh, is, is the first place to start with that. Um, and to think about how you're going to perhaps even up those three points. So if your business brand is really strong, how do you heat up your personal brand? How do you heat up your product brand um, as well? So in terms of ethics, uh, as simple and as complex as it sounds, it's usually a really good thing to walk the talk and um, have one version of yourself that shows up in as many places as possible so that there's lovely congruence about how about the language you use online, the language you use in newsletters, the language you use with clients, with referral partners, so that there's really this streamlined version of you uh, and your business and your products wherever you um, show up. and it is simply complicated that bit in my experience simply complicated simply lovely. complicated yeah it's it's really easy to stray and to try and be something else that you think facebook might want for instance do you find that people and i've heard this a lot when trying to work on my own kind of niche is some people try to be across so many different areas because they're scared that they'll miss out on clients but then by trying to appeal to everybody you end up appealing to nobody so how do you encourage people to consider finding a niche and, and really give up that fear of how am I going to fill my books, but then I'm only ever going to see this type of client? Like, How do you get them to, or what are your thoughts on niching and how you kind of manage that? Yeah, the... Um yeah, look like everything else, there's a, a range of uh, opinions on this one. Generally, it's easier if you do have a narrow-ish type of customer that you want to work with. Uh, we, I'm sure everyone's heard about um, ideal client avatars and, and having someone in mind that is just perfect for you and perfect for your, your business. And that makes the marketing so much easier, first and foremost. But first of all, it's got to be the sort of people that you absolutely adore serving and working with day in, day out. Otherwise, if you're kind of out of flow and you're waking up and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to be such and such and such and such for these guys all day, that doesn't really fill the, fill the cup too well. So it does have to have, I believe, a little bit of um, passion and curiosity and wisdom and um, excitement behind it. That's um, why I think that um, that entrepreneur that you mentioned earlier about finding a gap and going for it doesn't always sing because you, it might not be exactly the work that you really want to be doing. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And so 
that said, uh, the majority of my clients do have a fairly narrow kind of position in the market. So it might be with children, it might be with teens, it might be with acquired brain injury, it might be with um, mental health, mental wellness, it might be with children, with schools, whatever, whatever it is. And sometimes there can just be undue pressure about having a real um, micro niche like that. I work with other businesses that are more rural and remote and they do have a broader, a broader cert, a broader service offer and there's complete context for that um, and so I think it's a little bit about understanding the pros and cons either way and um, sometimes when I work with startups the conversation and ultimately the agreement is yeah we're going to start broad and we're going to get in and you're going to find your way and build your networks and build your services and over time you might bring in team to serve part of that cohort uh, while you get on and really zoom in on the stuff you like and um, the whole clientele, the whole team, the whole business can actually evolve, but with, um, I guess, with focus and with that mindfulness around it. I like the analogy I've heard other people use around if you wanted to, let's say it was your anniversary and you were looking at going out for a, um, a steak dinner, mm. you, you look for the restaurants nearby that are really well known for steak. Mm you and then if you go there and they have a lamb shank on the menu you're like actually i might give that a go because i know they do really good steak so mm -hmm. i assume they'll do this lamb shank really well but mm -hmm. you don't go to your general kind of buffet style place and think the steak's going to be really good yep. so i kind of i think of niching as that like people just feel comfortable like i know this person's going to do really good at that and then i also trust them to do really good at this yeah Absolutely. You may be hungry now. <laughs> Lamb shank or steak? Steak. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to, to talk to you about and, and get your ideas on is the fear and the imposter syndrome. So, and also the guilt. I know a lot of people really see private practice as being um, against a lot of their values and how can they charge a fee for the service and really struggle to put a value per hour for their work. Um, how do you how do you work with people around some of those more kind of internal hurdles? Mm. Uh, yeah, everyone, I guess we've all faced this one at some point or another. But um, I got my hair cut three weeks ago, and I paid for that. Um, I put petrol in my car, and I paid for that. That meant that I could get from A to B and C, and then back again. Um, I've never left Woolies with a green bag of food without paying for it um i've yeah go to the gp you know she makes me feel better <laughs> eventually pay for that so um when i think about all of the people that i engage with and businesses i engage with my cleaner she pays me i mean um I <laughs> that's her. a nice cleaner <laughs> um the guys who kind of fix things around the house so they're all providing me with a piece of value so i don't have to clean my house because somebody else does i don't have to crawl under and fix the whatever it is out in the garden or the shed because somebody else can do that but it saves me time it gives me a lifestyle makes me feel good it's really really helpful and so all of those services that I've just you know rattled off you know there's no doubt that there is an exchange I get food 
but I pay for it. I'm feeling a bit unwell, I get advice and I pay for it. So is, there is this value exchange. I value their input and I exchange that with something that is meaningful for them. So for me, that, that, that has just always been the, the most everyday context I've ever been able to um, provide that I um, was able to provide occupational therapy I was able to make a positive difference in the life of a kiddo or a teen or an adult I was able to make a difference in the life of a family and that that had value for them and that the all the exchange was it was an energetic exchange it was an exchange of money for the value that they got so um yeah, it, it might sound really simplistic, but I've been very comfortable with that commercialization for a, a very long time. Do you find that some of your clients really struggle with that? Uh, yeah, I think uh, lots of people struggle with it at all different points for all different reasons. So um, what I tend to say is to get back to basics and actually re-identify with uh, the value that you bring to that therapeutic relationship and the value you bring to that to your customers' future opportunities and life and all of that good stuff and to kind of just dig back into the impact that you will have with, uh, with making a difference in that person's life, in your customer's life. And how do you get people to reconsider the time it takes to do something? So, you know, I think of the example, like if, you know, you're sitting next to Picasso at a bar, let's say he lived now and he doodled something on a napkin and it's like, oh, can I have that? And he's like, oh, no, it'll cost you $50,000. Like, but it only took you five minutes. It's like, yeah, but it took decades to get to that five minutes. So how do you convince people to really stick by, you know, there's been, to niche down can sometimes be a decade of, of tertiary study and professional development and mm. memberships and associations you have to join. So yeah, you might join, you might've had a 50 minute session with someone and they're like, well, why is that worth it? But to get to that point, mm -hmm. there's so many things you have to consider and factor in as well as your overheads and ongoing costs. Mm. Yeah, I often ask, uh, so everyone kind of grapples with this in their own way and everyone makes their own millimetre of progress in their own way and it very much depends on their commercial um, mindset, very much depends upon their own energetic mindset about why they're here and why they're even doing business. Uh, so uh, a question I often ask is for them to jot down everything they've spent on professional development, even in the last 12 months. And invariably it'll be two, three, four, five grand plus flight, you know, with flights and accommodation and the Uber ride to the airport and so on and so forth. So you multiply that out by, um, you know, years and, and decades and it's going to give, you know, 100,000 a real nudge. As a rule, I know I've flown all over the world to do my training and I've had a range of business and clinical mentors globally for 20 years. So that's going to have a, a price and that is another layer, another ring around the tree. Um, you know, it's another layer of my windward to be able to um, deliver what I deliver. So I value that. I value all of those opportunities and um, I think it sort of circles back to what I was saying about um, really being clear on how I've invested in myself to bring the best version of myself to a therapeutic relationship or a business coaching relationship, but also having, you know, reasonable working clarity about the positive difference I can make 
for a business owner or for a, a client or what have you. So, yeah, big fan of growth mindset, big fan of um, working in flow, big fan of, um, you know, really good mentoring, not just business mentoring, but really good whole person kind of mentoring as well. Awesome. And I'll get you to chat before we wrap up a bit more about the products and services you offer. But just another kind of, I guess, area to explore is how how do people jump into that deep end of seeing themselves as a business owner? So, you know, we talked a little bit about the different entrepreneurial styles and, and skilling up in business, but how do you find you know, some people, you know, might think it's just not for me or it must be too hard or I've seen other people do it and I don't know how, you know, that you don't get as much nurturing as you do if you start a job in a case manager role and you kind of work your way up. Like mm. it's a whole scary world. Mm. So where would someone start if they were thinking, yep, this is an area that I might want to go into? How should they start thinking about it? What, and then what kind of people should they get on board? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm long overdue to run a, um, a workshop, a virtual workshop for startups. I've been getting a bit of, um, yeah, input on that and suggestion on that from the market, um, the last two or three months. I, I think you got to have a, you got to have a bit of a head for numbers, uh, or be willing to learn. I think you need to check in on your own energy levels. I think you've got to think about what you do want and also what you don't want. Uh, checking your appetite for risk. Uh, your readiness to do whatever it takes. So there's a whole lot of temperament pieces to it. There's a whole lot of energy. Have I got the energy to do this? Um, a little bit of, uh, well, what would this look like in a year? So some really early strategic planning is always a good thing. And you, you might have a series of strategic plans that have a three or four month life uh, to have a bit of an idea of the finance you've got or you haven't got. And if you need more, how that is all going to happening, all going to happen. Uh, and look, yeah, I've worked with startups who've gone from zero to hero in a, in a matter of months. And um, it all comes back to, as I observe it, how much do you want it? Because that is going to determine what you put in. It's going to determine who you engage by way of bookkeepers, accountants, business coaches, um, HR specialists, lawyers, getting your company structure, all the rest of it. So there's a ton of stuff to learn, but uh, there's also a ton of support out there in all sorts of different pockets. I don't know about the Social Work Association. Do they have any um, kind of support um, or any sort of groups, professional development groups who are business owners? I know SPA, Speech Path and OTA and the Physio. I know all of the other groups do. Um, there's recently been a private practice practice group that started, yeah. but that's still fairly new. So um, there's not a whole lot. It's not a big area and I don't think it sits particularly well ethically with some people. So it's a bit of a murky, murky area okay. for social workers. Okay. Um, so I've found that, you know, I've had to build my networks through working with other mm. professionals and, Again, the overlap's not entirely there. So there's some things, you know, even something as simple as having testimonials. It's like I, I can't have a client have a testimonial on a website. Maybe if it's a participant for a training or a workshop, great. 
but you know, how do I, I want to maintain that confidentiality. I don't yep. want cl- clients to feel in any way that they're going to be pressured to disclose anything or write a review. So it's, it's a different, it's a different way of working than other, maybe mm. like a dentist or I don't know, um, somewhere where there's a different type of confidentiality perhaps. Yeah, I think all of the um, allied health, um, mental health professions um, have got that alignment with testimonials, but um, there's 99 other ways of messaging what you do and why you do it. So plenty of other options um, in there and other other workarounds. So um, I guess, yeah, you know, that group, that group you have access to is sounds as though it's fledging, fledgling and getting its, uh, finding its feet. And I would hope that it goes from strength to strength because um, private practice, I don't believe it's a bad thing or a dirty word or any any of that when I think about the impact that my first business had and when I think about what we get done now, um, I think it's a really a really cool, interesting, creative way to work and um, get that impact. And that's, I guess that's what I, I agree with you on that, that you can be immediately responsive. So if there are two or three people that have a similar need and you run the idea of a group, you can have a turnaround, have that that program written, people signed up within a few weeks and you don't have to get management approval. You don't have to go through different layers of bureaucracy. It's just like, oh, okay, so we want to do a parenting skills workshop. Yeah, we've got a few interested. Great. We'll open the group up to everyone at the practice and if anybody else wants to come, should we open it externally? How do we balance confidentiality? few discussions, few phone calls, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. So you can be really, and that's what I love about it, you can be really responsive to people's needs almost immediately. Yeah, that was certainly one of the big attractions why um, I went into private practice because I just think I'd been on one committee too many. yeah, and everything needed months and months and months for approval and that just didn't sit with me at all well. Wonderful. Oh, this is so exciting. We could talk for so long. Um, probably the last thing I wanted to talk about is the importance of getting systems put in place and not just for the business side of things but how that impacts the therapeutic relationship with the client. So from the minute they have contact with either your brand or your website, you know, is it going to take you two hours to call them back or 48 hours? Like every, every step along the way really impacts on the rapport building for that client, especially in something like counseling where it's very one-on-one, but even in group work or when you're working with children, like the experience the parents have along the way of how you've engaged them when there's so much stigma in this, in this line of work and often a lot of fear, how do you, recommend people go about that so really thinking about it from the consumer's perspective about that consumer experience and then setting your systems behind that to flow yeah so there's um a ton of information in the marketplace about the customer experience at the moment so that's super super relevant to uh to what what we do uh i guess it's going to be n equals one everyone's going to do this a little bit differently uh you might get back to someone within two hours another business owner may be in their or growing their practice part-time so that two-hour interval just isn't going to be possible and that's okay as well so i think it comes down to some um uh having a a strategy in place in terms of what you want the customer to experience but 
also who you need to be and who whether you need teams sooner rather than later to help manage your customers' expectations as well. So um, I, I guess that returning phone calls, you know, some businesses are going to have two hours, others are going to have four, others are going to have close a business, others are going to have 24, 48 hours or whatever. So you can even message that on the website. Um, you can even let, you know, manage customers' expectations. And um, whilst nearly always sooner is better because if they're phoning you and not getting a reply, they're going to be phoning the next three on the list. But it then is about some consistency and that you do what you say you're going to do. And um, I guess that's for every business owner to decide what their responsivity is going to be and, and why. And, you know, that is just the very, very, well, it's one of the early points that the customer has with you, but thinking about how you're showing up online, how, what people are um, t saying about you, what your referrers are saying about you, what your um, past customers are saying about you, so on and so forth. Um, and then there's just going to be a series of touch points as they work with you right across the business, each of which will need a policy and a procedure and documents and all of that good stuff. And um, thank you, Stephen Covey. I wish you were still with us, uh, but start as you mean to proceed. So even if you're jotting things down on the back of an envelope, not that we use envelopes very much now, but you know the expression, is jot down all of your systems and all of your recipes as you go along so that they're not, you don't have the, uh, the weight of carrying them around in your head the whole time. I like your idea of pulling people along at different points and having a team. And I, I remember hearing, it was another podcast um, talking about, if you're, you know, if you're a sole practitioner and you're doing everything on your own and you're sort of, you come back at the end of the day of doing client work, which in itself is so demanding of energy, and then you kind of begrudgingly send a few emails and return a few phone calls, that feeling of like, oh, it's just such a burden. I can't believe I have to do this again, actually can come across really negatively to the people you're calling because for them, you might be the first person they've reached out to mm. and you've picked up the phone at a maybe an unusual hour or your, maybe your email was a little bit direct. So they're not getting that really good, refreshed mm. quality service because you're fatigued from trying to wear too many hats. And that really resonated with me of that direct impact on clients and how, if you're a bit fatigued, you can be a little bit sloppy or a little bit, mm. you know, maybe snappy or a little bit more direct yeah, than usual. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for me, admin is, uh, is a swear word. Uh, admin sits on the swear jar. And if you're hearing yourself saying, I'm just doing admin or I've got to do admin, if there's a bit of tone, I suspect you haven't really had a look at what's sitting in that admin bucket because there's going to be a whole lot of marketing and there's going to be customer service. There's going to be um, managing uh, referrers and their relationships. There's going to be all sorts of things in there that we just dump into admin because we really haven't thought about what it is we're doing on a, at a more specific level. So um, banish the word admin, I say. Oh, I think at my swear jar would have been full just this yeah. weekend with the amount of time. Just, like, <laughs> just a couple of hours of admin and then I'm watching Harry Potter in the background and I've just typed one email. <laughs> Such a good use of time. Oh, the Harry Potter. Yes, that's true. It's winter. I watch it every winter, I think. It's great. Yeah. Um, so how can people find you? How can they access you if they like what you're putting out into the world and they want to learn more? Tell us 
how they can connect with you and I'll put all the details in the show notes. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, probably the, the website is the best place to start. So www. Um, oh, what is it? www.nacre.com.au and you can sign up for our, lo- our Allied Health Business Love Letters there and you can find out about our podcast and all the, uh, all the crazy that goes on there. Uh, we've also got a really, really super, super generous, uh, super busy um, Facebook group called Private Practice Made Perfect. And there's over 600 people in there. And the sharing that goes on there is absolutely remarkable. I just, um, yeah, yeah, love having a look at what uh, what's going on in there. So website, listen to a little bit more of me rabbiting on on um, another podcast, um, signing up for our newsletter, uh, joining the Facebook group. And we've got a really lovely um, starter-upper kind of membership program where you get um, training with me every month and access to a really smart kind of uh, treasure chest. We call it the treasure chest in-house of business resources with lots of videos and templates and things like that. So, yeah, we, you know, our mission is to be helpful and to make sure that business is effective and fun and, and that the business is serving serving you and that you're getting all um, the rewards, not just financial, but emotional and um, all of those other ones as well. So, yeah, we don't want anyone doing business the hard way. Great. And I hope people are pressuring you sooner rather than later to get that um, webinar on. Yeah. I can't believe I said that. I'll I'll add that. Well, maybe now it's it's out there in the world and you until this podcast goes live. So we we can add that as it comes up into the notes because I'm sure that's something people would like to kind of learn a bit more about and and get kind of familiar with all the different options because it can be a big leap. And I think to have those supports in place and your Facebook community is beautiful. So I'm, you know, I'm in that and chatting away and asking, well, not so silly, silly questions, but. No, there's no silly ones other than um, what's your favourite cocktail. So it is, it is, it is more than just business in there. Let's uh, leave it at that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for chatting, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts.